Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is the Eccles Unlimited podcast. I'm your host, Terrence Eccles. And today I have a great episode for you. It's with one of my very good friends and co-workers. His name is Amari McPherson. Amari is a local Cleveland journalist. He does a lot with the Cleveland Guardians organization and works with me uh, with the Guardians. And yeah, he's, he's an amazing dude. We had a great conversation just about journalism and MLB and what his career goals and aspirations are. And Amari's a great guy. He has a great story, so uh, please take some time to check it out, and uh, please don't forget to subscribe, don't forget to like this video, and please don't forget to listen on Apple and Spotify. Thank you, and uh, enjoy the video. All right, so I guess to lead off and to come back to a conversation we were having earlier this week in terms of just the Guardians organization and being an employee and working for the Guardians, what has your experience been like so far? And how have you, how has it been to work for a team that you've admired your entire life? Yeah, I think for me, and I know you would say the same, like just um, being able to witness it kind of firsthand. And so like, you know, being born and raised in Cleveland, you hear all the time about how, you know, the organization is first class, this and that. And like you even say like family first, and um, kind of being in, in our department and just working for them in general, like I think you could definitely say that now, now that I've seen it firsthand, just the amount of people that um, are really invested in your success, really, and are very uh, personable, very easy to talk to, um, want to make sure you succeed, um, whether it's selfish or not, you know, because uh, obviously your success is the department success. But either way, it's just like, you know, they're just looking out for you pretty much. And so... Um, like I was saying earlier this week, last time we talked, it was like surreal because, you know, the team that you grew up rooting for, watching on TV every day, and you're now you're kind of like brought in on the inside and um, just being able to witness it firsthand and, and see how everything is run from the inside and see how well it's run from the inside has really been, really been surreal. I mean, that's kind of the, the word I keep coming back to, but that's the best way I could put it. Yeah, and surreal is a great word, especially in – coming from the perspective that you're coming from it's a completely different perspective from mine but it's very it's probably just a very um like nostalgic feel that you get you know walking through the ballpark every day and getting to sit up in the press box and and write notes and work on different things for media members and everything so i guess we haven't had a ton of time to talk about this in in the time we've worked together but Let's get into your background a little bit. Like, who is Amari McPherson and what led you to this point in, in getting here and working for the Guardians and the different things that you work on as well? Yeah, it's been a, a winding road. As we know, success is never a straight line. And so, like, when I was growing up, I used to want to be a vet. That didn't work out. I never really put that much effort into it, though, anyway. So that's all right. And then when I was in high school, I still didn't really know like when I went in to go to school for, um, I ended up going to Kent State. Um, yeah. My senior year, I took this accounting class. It was like an intro to accounting. And um, I don't want to say like I loved it, but I was just really good at it. Like it almost came like natural. So I was like, oh, okay, well, like maybe I'll, I'll do that. So when I, when I started school, um, I was an accounting major. I was in business school, um, got through my first two years or so. Um, I was struggling. Uh, there was this accounting class that I failed twice. Um, it's hard to say that you failed twice, at least you have some type of improvement, but not me. Um, and just having a, uh, a talk with a cousin of mine, he was like, I'm surprised you don't 
to do anything with sports because like you love sports. I've always loved sports. Um, you know, you could talk about it super easily. Uh, have you ever thought about doing something like that? And honestly, I hadn't, but it was kind of like this light bulb just went off in my head. And so after two, two or three years, maybe I um, changed my major to journalism. And I was like, you know, I'm going to, because he was right. You know, I love sports. So I was like, all right, well, I'll do this. You know what I mean? It, it kind of comes naturally. Turns out um, I never thought that I'd be a writer. I never thought that, you know, being a writer um, would be a particularly interesting job. Um, but when I started, it, it definitely didn't feel like a job, much like what we do now. It doesn't feel like a job, even though we, we get to do something that we love to do and we get to get paid for it, which is great. Um, but after that, I uh, started learning journalism, kind of like the basics of it, um, and then started freelance journalism. I joined this group, um, this local group here called Cleveland Sports Talk. Um, and some people have gone on to, you know, do other things or whatever. But um, started that for maybe like two years, uh, worked my way up to senior writer, if you will. Didn't really amount to much because it's not like I got paid for it. But if that means something to you, I'd let yeah. you senior senior writer. It's um, progress. Yeah, it is progress, for sure. And um, when I was with them, I kind of learned really fast that, yeah, this is something that I like to do, but also not to sound arrogant because I know how this is going to come off. But because I had the basics of a, of a, a journalist and a, how journalism or journalists write, um, I quickly found myself being like the best writer there. And that's so yeah, completely humbly because it's like when I would write or read other people's writing, um, there was just little things that were missing or they used the same vocabulary or, you know, just something to it. And so from there, um, yeah, I just uh, I took two years off of school, not on purpose. It just kind of turned out that way. Um, changed my major again to communica communication studies, then went back to school for two more years, graduated two years ago now, actually, um, which is kind of why I'm getting this late start into it. But yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. I was a freelance journalism, a freelance journalist for a couple of years. Now I write for uh, Pictureless, um, I guess semi-professionally because they do pay um, like per article that you write. Uh, I write for the Cavs for an SB Nation blog, um, Fear the Sword, uh, if anybody's ever heard of it. Um, I have my own blog. I help do two podcasts now. So um, for a couple of years, like sports have definitely been my life and uh, we were talking earlier how my career goal is that that front row that we sit behind all, yeah. the, all the writers that are lined up on that front row. Um, and I told um, Court and, and Brian and Austin that when I had my interview, it was like, that's ideally what I'd like to do. Um, that's kind of what I see myself doing, uh, covering a team or working for a team and just writing every day. Um, turns out I love it. I don't I never saw myself in this position. I uh, never thought that I would enjoy it as much as I do. And it led me here. I applied for uh, the internship like we were talking before. I didn't end up getting it, but um, in reading my writing samples, they enjoyed what I do, uh, saw how well, I, how good I was at it. And I mean, fortunately, they decided to make this position that I have now and brought me on. And I've been uh, with The Guardian since roughly May, I think. So that's kind of kind of how I got here. That's awesome. I mean, and I think a lot of people have that sort of journey throughout college where you get into it and you don't know what you want to do. And then you sort of figure it out as you go. Like, it, it's always good to go in with a plan. Like you said, you went in because you were good at an accounting. You're like, all right, I'm going to be an accounting major. But I think you made probably a happier decision in 
leaving that and, and doing something more journalism based, uh, I had sort of a similar experience, but it's kind of the opposite. I had aspired to be a sports broadcaster, not necessarily writing, but, you know, like whether it was analyst, reporter, whatever, I just wanted to be on a broadcast saying things and, and working in that environment. Um, and I chose sports communications as my major, my first year of college. Um, I think we graduated the same year. You said two years ago, 2021? Yeah, I graduated in July of 21. Okay, cool. Yeah, we graduated the exact same time. So um, when I, so when I first got to college, this is, this is September of 2017. When I first got to college, I worked a volleyball game for this thing at my college. It's called the Red Fox Network. Um, and I absolutely hated it. <laughs> I hated it, bro. Like I couldn't, I've never, I don't think anyone's left a major that fast at Marist College. Like it's my first weekend on campus. I was so excited to work this volleyball game. It was like a two games back to back. They, you know, they do the double headers in college volleyball, but yeah, I worked those two games on the broadcast team and I absolutely hated it. So um, it's funny just how things are different between different experiences. And um, I guess the stuff that you got to work on at Kent State, like what are some of the things that you got to do, I guess, around campus or in your classes that really helped you solidify the idea that, okay, I want to be in this front row one day. I want to be a writer. Yeah. Uh, well, first off, it was failing those two classes. We yeah. got one class in back to back years. I was like, this is not this is not for me. But to your point about being happier about leaving that major. Absolutely. Uh, just because when I was in, in the journalism classes that I was taking, um, like it just came naturally to me, like it just kind of clicked for me. And it was like, OK, well, um, like I could do this. You know what I mean? And, and, and it wasn't that hard for me to to um, get a hold of it, even starting late, you know, I changed my major as a junior yeah. and then took two years off. So, you know, like I said, that's kind of how I got here this late, but um, that, that was great. And then the teacher that I had, he taught previous um, students that went on to become journalists as well. So it was like, you have a really credible source um, as your teacher to help you get through this. So that was great as well. But um I almost minored in photography because I also wanted to be a photojournalism as well. Okay. Um, what I really wanted to do is like write, but then the pictures that you have in a story, I wanted to be the ones to take that. Yeah. So I didn't want to have to rely on other people or use other people's photos. I wanted to kind of like um, AJ and, and Clay, like I wanted to yeah. be on the side and, and take the photos and then include my own photos in my story. Um, but to that point, uh, when I was taking my phone, my photography classes um that kind of helped me like go around campus uh kind of get out of your shell a little bit kind of um get out of your comfort zone pretty much yeah and that that was a, a big help and it also helped me like with interview skills as well um because one thing i had to do was interview a couple people we had just brought on women's lacrosse it was brand new to our school and i attended my first press conference mm -hmm. and i got to interview the coach and i also interviewed an athletic director, she may have been an assistant, I can't remember, but being able to like do my first interviews, if you will, um, really kind of help you get that practice because really the only way you're going to do it is by practicing and doing it. So I was able to kind of get that experience um, at that time. I haven't done much of it since, but at least I kind of have the basic skills and the knowledge to do it if I need to. Yeah, yeah. And 
I guess during that time period, uh, I don't know how popular it is just to be the the photojournalist as well as the written journalist. Um, were there any people in sports media or local media, national media that you looked up to or you thought do a great job? And are there any folks out there that you don't necessarily enjoy or that you would be like, I'm not trying to be like that? Were there things you, you know, how like athlete, you watch other players and, and you take things from different people's games, like who in, in the national or local landscape did you take a look at and you're like, okay, I want to add that. I don't want to add that. I want to do this. I want to do that. I really look up to him. I really look up to her. I don't really like him. I don't like her. Like what was, what was that sort of like? I think for me, I don't think I look necessarily looked up to a specific person or their skills necessarily, but as a sports fan, you know, you just have ESPN on all the time and being able to see um, different people with different backgrounds on there on a major network um, coming from different places, different schools, and just the journeys that they got there, um, how they got there. But I think if I had to pick a name, it would be Brian Windhorst, just because he's from Northeast Ohio. He went to Kent State yeah. um, and, and worked for the Plain Dealer, the local newspaper, and worked his way up to ESPN. So if anything, it was like, okay, well, I don't go to OU, Ohio University, or I don't go to like somebody like Northwestern, you know, these major journalism schools, even though Kent State is an accredited journalism school. Mm -hmm. um, but it was him who was like, okay, well, if anybody could do it, like if he can do it and come from Northeast Ohio and go to Kent State, um, then like, why can't I? Yeah. Um, so I, I think if there was any name, it would be him. Um, plus there's also just, you know, those sports center anchors and, and writers that, you know, you read every day, um, ESPN senior writers or whatever, and like, okay, well, I can do this because I never had an aspiration to be on TV. Mm -hmm. um, I've had people ask me like, are you trying to be like on TV or whatever? And I'm like, my, my honest answer was if I get there, then I'm okay with it. You know, it's not necessarily my dream, but I won't shy away from it, you know, because if I get there, then I must be doing something right. right. Um, but to at least be a writer. And if you're on ESPN.com, you see the different articles that come out. Um, that was kind of my goal, pretty much. But uh, to answer your question, very long-winded, um, I would say Brian Windhorst, just because he started, I guess, from the same background, being from here and also going to the same school. Yeah, and I think that's a great example. He was, like, he's literally been in, not necessarily the, the limelight, but he's been, like, a very, like, respected and enjoyed journalist for the better part of the past, what, 20 years almost? Like, I think I've seen, I've been watching him on ESPN since the beginning, since I first started watching sports. I think the big thing that happened last year was when he hopped on, I forgot, maybe it was NBA Countdown or one of those shows, those NBA roundtable shows. And he did the thing where he's like, what's going on in Utah? And he literally predicted the future with what was going on with the Utah Jazz, with them trading Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Like, I don't think people looked at that and people thought it was funny just because of like how he was able to capture an audience for a good five to 10 minutes, just like had everyone waiting for the next word that was gonna come out of his mouth. And then for those things to happen in the off season, that gave me a newfound level of respect for him just because like, it takes moments like that that create legends in, in the journalism space, especially in sports. So I thought that was a really cool moment. Yeah, I agree. Um, just for it to 
like turn out true. Like I don't even think he was necessarily trying to like predict anything. Mm-hmm. It was like when you put two and two together, it was like, well, he kind of had it all along. And then yeah, like you said, for them to kind of tear everything down and and the way that it went and um full circle, you know, Donovan Mitchell being traded here to Cleveland was great. Um, and then obviously you still get Lindhorst um, on ESPN Cleveland from time to time. So uh, that's great. But yeah, um, kind of like, kind of like him, you know, he's a writer, but then you see him on TV every, you know, now and then, and it's like, well, if I get to that point, then great. And he's kind of mm-hmm. like the mold, if you will, quote unquote, uh, that I wanted to follow. Yeah. And it's all about the process. It's all about the journey. Like there's going to be setbacks and, there's going to be times where, you know, you're feeling yourself and you, you have a string of great articles and then so, something may happen, but I guess that's the beauty of it. And to see someone like that and be able to aspire to do the same things that he's done, I think that's very admirable. Um, so you mentioned that you grew up loving sports. You've been around sports and that um, I think it was your cousin, you said, mentioned how, how, why don't you try talking about sports for a living? what was your background like in terms of like playing sports and stuff? So did you, did you play a lot of sports or were you always the the kid who loved to go watch and, and stuff? Or were you at recess playing, playing sports and, and what happened? Because um, I know you got a great golf swing. So. That's <laughs> all right. <laughs> right. Um, for me, I did play sports, not as much as I would have liked to, because I didn't get like, that head start that people wanted so -hmm. for me it was like segmented so like when I was like a a super young kid I started with basketball yeah I stopped playing so then about middle school is when I like fell in love with football so then I played football for a couple years and then just randomly out of nowhere like I couldn't I couldn't tell you my heart of hearts how I got attracted to baseball um and then like my freshman year or like right before my freshman year of um high school got into baseball I played my middle school team tried out for the team ended up making it um and since then it's just been all baseball and so because I I didn't start early with football and continue it I'm not that great at it same thing with basketball um because I stopped so early I'm not that great at basketball either but then because I started baseball late I'm not as good as you know other people other people are um and I also did want to become a baseball player too as well but that didn't work out so um, I did play sports, not as much as I would have wanted to, but it, it it correlated with what my favorite sport was at the time, going from basketball to football to baseball. Um, so that's why, like, you guys had your, your softball outing. Yeah. Anytime I can play, I'm like, oh, I want to play, just because, like, I didn't yeah. get to play that much when I was a kid. And obviously, we're adults now, so you don't really play a lot. But, um, yeah, so it, it all kind of correlated with what my favorite sport was at the time, and I am a diehard baseball fan i can't explain it much more than i thought i'd ever be especially with football um i just watch baseball all day man and, and like i said it's it's a blessing and i'm super grateful um to not only work in baseball but then work for a major league team and it be my hometown team like really literally a dream yeah that's awesome that's 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 really cool and one thing that you brought up that i i find hilarious is like you're like, I don't know how I became just a huge baseball fan. I'm sure, especially, I'm not sure necessarily how popular baseball is in, in the Cleveland community, but I'm sure, especially where, where I come from, there aren't a lot of black kids that enjoy baseball. You know what I mean? Like I played up until I was maybe 14 years old, 
just because that's what everyone in my neighborhood was playing. But once I figured out, you know, basketball was more fun, I was like, all right, I'll give up baseball easy. Just and I and I threw it to the wind. What was it like just like being a black kid just obsessed with baseball, especially in Cleveland? It might be a little bit different here than it was in my hometown, but what what was that like where did people like make fun of you? What what was the thing like, or did you have a bunch of friends who were also into it too? So it kind of worked out because when I was in middle school, when I first started, um, I did go to a predominantly black school. And so the team was made of all black kids. It was like no thought to it. And, you know, we as a team weren't that great. I think we only won like one or two games, but um, I mean, it was fun. You know what I mean? It, it didn't deter me from, from continuing to play. And so when I got to high school, I moved um, in with my dad who lived in Brunswick for people who may know it. Um, it's a predominantly white school. And so, um, like you say, you know, uh, uh, minorities and especially black kids are always into baseball like that. And so moving to a community that likes baseball, it was really like a no brainer almost. So I was never deterred from playing or um, discouraged or anything like that. It just, it's weird how it worked out. And so while there weren't many black kids, um, if any that played baseball, I was probably the only one in the entire school that was that obsessed with baseball that was minority. Mm -hmm. um, and our baseball team was all white kids and I didn't make the team, but the team was all, all white. Um, but yeah, no, I never had any negative experience. I don't think when it comes to being black and, and playing baseball, I think if anything, um, I, I see the level that the game is going with the lack, relative lack of, of black people that are playing. Um, obviously you have your minorities in, in other countries that are black, but as far as, like black Americans, like you and I, you know, there's not many people that are doing that. And so for me, I love when I see other black Americans love baseball as much as me. And, you know, being on Twitter, I've made a couple of friends that um, that are black and love baseball just as much as me. And we can just talk about baseball whenever. Um, but for me, um, I guess getting off on a, a different subject, but it's related, just hope that that those numbers turn around because you've seen it dwindle even from like five to 10 years ago. Um, and so just hopefully, you know, we get back to that good point where um, you have more stars like Mookie Betts. And I think it's a, a big deal that like he is as good as he is. And it's no exaggeration to talking about how good he is because he really is that good. And he also just happens to be black. So it's like you can do this. You know what I mean? So um, hopefully we can continue to grow the game in uh, minority communities and things like that. And RBI programs with MLB and hopefully those things continue because, um I'm one of the few, you know, I didn't grow up in like an RBI system or anything, but coming from a major city, but a minority community and loving baseball as much as I do, um, hopefully that'll continue in the future. Certainly. And, you know, being with the Guardians for the past six months or so that I've been here, I've had the great privilege of working in a lot of our community efforts in terms of youth baseball and softball and getting baseball more ingrained into these communities because it's an expensive sport, bro. Like it was, it, you're paying 300 plus for a bat, 200 plus for a glove. And that's just and, that. And to like, that point, I think that's part of the reason about like why you don't see those numbers because, you know, minority families don't always have the capital to, to, you know, enroll their kids in these sports because it often is pay for play. And I've seen it up close and personal um, unfortunately I was able to do it, but I think to your, to your point, that's part of the reason why, uh, the numbers are so dwindling. Yeah. Yeah. And 
I think it's important to put resources in the hands of these communities. Like I, I know you played football, so you show up the first day of football, all you've got is cleats and a water bottle and everything else they, they hand you. You're good. Like you're taken care of. You got, they give you your helmet, they give you your shoulder pads, whatever you need, knee pads, thigh pads, all this, all this other stuff. You can buy the extra stuff to look cool, look nice and all that. But all you really need is cleats and a water bottle every day and you, and, the, and they'll take care of you. Whereas like baseball, not necessarily, they don't necessarily have helmets waiting for you. They don't necessarily have the best of the best bats waiting for you. They don't necessarily have the best of best gloves waiting for you. It's such a personalized sport with such personalized items where it's like, you kind of have to buy your own if you want to, you know, be comfortable and play well and have the best equipment. You just kind of have to, like, like you said, pay, pay to play. So um, what the guardians do is a really good job of trying their best to give these resources to the communities that don't necessarily have it, whether it's the RBI program or any of the play ball CLE programs and the field programs. I know Jose just had his field unveiling last week. Um, just all these different things, just to try to put the resources into these um, communities, I think is going to pay off in the end, just because I think the biggest thing about sports and you can, you can chime in on this. The biggest thing about sports here in America is taking market share away from football. And as much as I loved playing football, as much as I love football, as the years go by, I think the more and more we're going to see people or in other sports and other leagues trying to take that market share away just because everyone's talking about how dangerous it is. And granted, I'm I'm a proponent for playing football as a youth. I think it taught me so many things, but at the same time, it is dangerous if you don't play the right way. And a lot of the kids I grew up with playing with didn't play the right way. So I think the biggest thing is just take that market share away. And how is that going to be transformed into more? Because a lot of the best athletes are playing football. How are we going to get them to play baseball? Yeah, I think for me, I think if I were to explain it, I think it's just get into marketing, being able to market the game better than they have been, being able to market to uh, specific communities with specific players. Um, yeah, I mean, if you really want to, I don't, I don't, I mean, you talk about ethical, I guess you could, but um, market how safer, I guess the game is because football is dangerous. And, um, you know, it, it's not something that everybody wants to do. And I, I like your point about not playing in the right way. I think if say we were to play football and maybe my heart's not all the way in it because I know how dangerous it is, but maybe I still want to play, you know, I could get myself hurt if not somebody else, Yeah. you know, if you don't could be dangerous. Right way, right. Yeah. If you're not all in. And I have a little nephew that uh, has played football um, pretty much his whole life. He's played football and baseball, but he's, he's on the shorter side. Um, and so it's like, maybe you should kind of stick with baseball because he is good at it. Um, but I think it's just all about marketing. Like, uh, you know, tell the people how easy it is to play, how much cheaper it may be to play as a kid. Um, Cause to your point, like when I play baseball, um, you know, like the costs are different when it comes to football and, and, uh, and baseball. Um, and I think it just all boils down to marketing. I mean, we all know that MLB could do a better job at um, growing the game. And I guess you could say they're trying with the rules that they have in place right now, but that does nothing to get more people to play. They're just trying to get more people in the stadium. Um, but I think you could do a better job at trying to get kids to play at a younger age, um, different communities and different minorities. Um, Cause it is a global game. Like I love to see 
uh, like a World Baseball Classic. You have so many different countries, people of different backgrounds uh, coming together to play this one game. And um, I think that's beautiful to see. Whereas football is as popular as it is. I'm not trying to knock on it. It is just kind of like an American thing. Like, you know, we don't, other people don't even call it football outside of America. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it just boils down to marketing. Just try to grow the game um, differently than you have been having the stars come out and, uh, and, you know, talk to kids or whatever about how easy and safe it is to play and how it's changed their lives too. I mean, we've seen like Hispanics and how much the game means to them because they may come, I don't want to stereotype and generalize, but they may come from a rough background and their only way out is baseball. And even without that, they, they just love the game and love to play. And you, you don't get that in this country. So I think being able to grow the game, like I said, will do so much to, um, have other people play and, and more kids play so that even the demographic is maybe a little bit younger or at least a wider gap and it's not so narrow to where you have like 50 and 60 year olds watching baseball because clearly if you look at us me and you specifically we love baseball we're, we're in our 20s and we're black so like it's out there you just got to know where to go and and have the resources and, and the the time to reach out to these people yeah and I think you made a good point when you brought up how MLB is, is a bit different and, you know, they could do a better job marketing the sport. Um, but one thing I will give MLB credit for is their ability to adapt and change with the times where we've seen, I don't think any professional major professional league has implemented, implemented safety measures in rule changes as well as MLB has, whether it's, adding nets to every ballpark in America, whether it's the bigger bases, whether it's the pitch clock and speeding up the game. It's just been, yeah, the Buster Posey rule. Yeah. Catchers. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, that was exciting to watch people, you know, barrel down the third baseline and and nail a catcher. But at the same time, it's not safe at all. It's terrible. It's, It's terrible. So, um, I also feel like it doesn't take much away from the game, like especially in for the Guardians this season. We've seen a lot of electric, exciting plays at home plate where there isn't someone bashing like bashing into um, the catcher. And, you know, there's it still brings that excitement to the play, Uh, whereas like you see rule changes in football, you see rule changes in basketball. And it's kind of like players and coaches are just complaining about it you don't necessarily see that in MLB where like, for example, football, the whole blindside block thing, the whole blindside hit thing. um, They've been doing a great job of implementing that. They've been doing a great job of implementing the whole sack rules and how you can't land on a quarterback and and hurt them with their whole body weight and everything. It's been hard to interpret for for football and it's been hard to implement uh, just because players are so used to just being as vicious and ferocious on the field as possible that you have to think about the safety of everyone. Whereas like you look at MLB, I don't, I rarely ever see anyone complaining about, Oh, the bases are larger. Oh, there's nets in every ballpark. Oh, the, the games are shorter. Like, I just think that the way MLB has set itself up can set itself up for more positive, more positives in the future, especially from coming from a marketing perspective and how like you you look at promo videos for the NBA or the NFL and it's like, oh, 
you, you won't be seeing as many big hits in, in the NFL games. Whereas like baseball, it, it'll just get more and more exciting with, you know, diving catches and home runs and all this other stuff. They've been doing a better job of making that more possible for players. So I just think the way MLB has implemented rule changes and safety precautions has been better than other leagues. But I also think that MLB has also perfected the developmental system to where like you can see revenue from people attending their developmental league games. Like the Columbus Clippers, they're two hours away, but people tune in from Cleveland to see how the team's doing. They tune in to watch the games. They get excited about prospects. Like you don't necessarily see that for the Delaware blue coats in the Philadelphia 76ers. So it's like, it, it's going to take a while for other leagues to adapt the whole developmental system the way and perfect it the way MLB has. But those are just two things that I will give MLB credit for. And I think will pay off in the end. No, I definitely agree, especially with the developmental thing, just because I think for decades, you've seen other sports try to kind of, I don't want to say copy, but um, take what the MLB has. We have a farm system and it just hasn't worked out. And, I actually think a farm system, quote unquote, would actually be beneficial to other leagues like the NFL, how we how we have like the USFL and the XFL. Um, and I think it'll um, create progress to where we could follow this one player from, from college. He doesn't make it to the NFL. He makes it to this league, does well there and then makes it to the NFL. I think it'll just build that that audience. I guess they don't necessarily need it because of how popular it is, but it'll just create more like opportunities like, too. yeah interaction like with the audience yeah. because you know who these people are and you can follow their journey and to your point about um mlb and cleveland specifically with their farm system like i live 10 minutes away from east lake where the captains are so like i could easily go there and they always get good uh, attendance numbers um it always seems like akron has great attendance numbers and you're able to follow these people from one step to the next until hopefully they come up with the team that you're rooting for and um and i think that is one way to kind of capture an audience because you're like like i said you're able to follow who these people are so not only do you know who they are but then you have more of a rooting interest in them when they finally get here yeah and seeing that and it happens a lot where Emma or NFL or NBA players, they sputter out in two to three years. They didn't develop right, say in college, or they left too early and they don't necessarily get that development because the team has to spit them out and find someone else because they can't waste money by keeping them on. Whereas like in MLB, if a player is struggling or you he, he advanced too early, fine. You, you can DFA him, sign him to a minor league contract, keep him in the organization, keep him in the system, where you're not necessarily putting the same amount of resources into him financial-wise, but you're still able to keep him in your system and allow him to develop into the player that you either drafted or traded or signed him for to, to become. So I think that's just an important piece that MLB has that, you know, NBA and NFL, you see guys two, three years who were once, you know, five-star recruits are out. Whereas like by the time guys are like 24, 25, 26 in MLB, they're just getting their starts and they've are they've already fine-tuned out all of the kinks in the, in their game and they they're they're amazing athletes by that point. So um I definitely think that's something that NFL and NBA can do, but then it's also like you like you said, they already have a ton of eyes on them. So why fix something that that ain't broke? But at the same time, I think 
more and more athletes are going to get better. I think more and more athletes need opportunities. And I think no one gives opportunities to athletes like MLB does. Yeah. And actually to that point, it's funny because I feel like even though that's one thing that could help MLB, I feel like right now that's one thing that's also hurting them because whether or not you pay attention to college baseball, a guy gets drafted, you're not going to see him for at least three years. And and that's kind of the part that, that is like hurting them. But I think we see it being in Cleveland now. It's like we pay, especially us, pay so much attention to the prospects that we have. It's like we're rooting for these guys the entire way. We can't wait for them to get up here. And then when they do get up here, like Bo Naylor, that's like, like I'm coming to see him, whether yeah. you know whether he's struggling or not. I want to see him because I know how good he can be. Um, and so I think it, it, it's really back and forth. It's like a seesaw. It's, it's, it, it's the one thing that could help but also currently is hurting at the same time. So it's, it's kind of weird. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, just because like you look at some of the guys that the guardians have gotten recently and in recent days, it's like, yeah, they're great prospects and they're going to be great players and all that, but it's like, probably won't see him for say a year or two. And it's like, Oh, well, you know, we'll wait. But at the same time, it's like, it's kind of hard because, you know, the hype is so huge because, oh, my God, we just got this guy. We just drafted this guy, signed this guy, traded this guy. But then you have reality sets in. Probably won't see him at an MLB level for, you know, a couple of years or so. So, And if you do, they may be on another team. Yeah. We talk about, like, Nolan Jones. We talk about all these other people that we've traded, whether or not before they got a chance or after they got a chance. But maybe, you know, it was too soon, like Nolan Jones. Um, so I don't know. It almost kind of like takes away because like, oh, I wanted to see Nolan Jones and now he plays in Colorado. I'm not mm-hmm. going to watch Colorado. And yeah. I feel like some of those extreme people are like, well, why would I watch anyway if the people I want to see aren't going to be here? Mm-hmm. So it, it's really it's really tricky. And I feel like that's kind of the difficulty in trying to perfect, if you can, um, this thing of bringing in an audience. And that's just one of the things that I think is hurting. Certainly. Um yeah, switch switching gears a little bit. Growing up in Cleveland, you mentioned living up by the captains. Did you go to a lot of games, whether it's at Progressive Field or um, was it First Energy Stadium or the Q that is now Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse? Did you go to a lot of games uh, in the area, professional level games? Not a whole ton, I think. I can't remember if it was my very first game or maybe my first one in a long time. My first Browns game. It was Johnny Menzel's first start. Okay. And everybody knows I was against Cincinnati. It was 30 to nothing. It was not a great game. It was cold. Um, but Browns games, for whatever reason, I just haven't been to a lot of as a kid. And um, even the other ones, I think the most ones I've gone to um, probably be the Cavs. Mm-hmm. And I can honestly admit that the second time LeBron James came back, I didn't go to any games. Yeah. So I was like, I was in college and ticket prices, you know, it's kind of a struggle. And then when you're a kid, you have to rely on your, your parents to take you. Um, yeah. But I didn't go to a lot. But like I said, that didn't like deter me from um, being a fan and wanting to do anything. And in fact, this year, being an employee of the team, I've been to more games than I ever have been um, before. Yeah. You know, I, I, I would love to go to every game or as many games as I would as I can. Um, and it just never worked out that way. And so just kind of another reason why um, this year, why it's kind of so great because I'm there like every other weekend for like two or three or maybe four games. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, I didn't go to a lot, um, but I did go to some WNBA games when we had a team. 
Okay. Hopefully they, they bring a team back. I know that's a different subject, but um, yeah, to answer your question, I didn't go to a lot, but didn't didn't deter me from doing anything. Yeah. And I think as you become older, as we, you know, progress into our late twenties, thirties, forties, what whatnot, start to get more money, start to have more um what's the term? Um uh, like disposable In- income. Yeah, disposable income to the point to where like, oh, I can't go watch this right. this concert or I can go to this game or I can go see this and do this. I think that's so bougie the- though. I, I want to throw that out there. I'm kind of bougie. So like if I go to a game, I don't want to sit in the nosebleeds. Yeah. So <laughs> if I'm going to a game, I'm spending at least a hundred dollars. And so it's like if I don't have it, then yeah, I'm not going. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I get that completely, bro. Like yeah, I uh, I went to a few Cavs games when I first moved here, and I was like, I was up top, but I, I didn't care. You know, I was like, I'm watching NBA games. This is the closest I've ever been to an NBA team. That's probably why. So I was like, I'm just at an NBA game. I don't care. But, yeah, you're right. Like, once once you do get that disposable income, you know, you got to sit yeah. right. You got to. It, it changes, you know. And actually, to that point, I want to tell a quick story. I have an uncle. Um, I don't know how you or other people are familiar with Maryland, how it's kind of like split in two different coasts. And so the eastern side has no major cities, no sports. Like the closest city, obviously, is Baltimore. And that's like a three-hour drive for some people. Mm-hmm. So I have a cousin that moved up here uh, for a couple of years just because he was living with us, whatever. And so he had never been to like a major league game, never been to any major sports building, whatever. And so I just remember when he came up here, it was like, all right, I'm going to be spending some money because like, I'm taking them to the Cavs games. I remember, um, I remember, I remember telling you months ago when we first met, like how you were a Red Sox fan. I grew up like an Angels fan and an Indians fan as well. And so I remember the Angels were here and we took a tour of Progressive Field. The Angels were in town. So then we went to Tower City and just kind of chilled for a bit, came back for the game. Um, but yeah, I just remember when him he was here, it was like, I was just, trying to give them that experience because I love sports so much. So it's like, I can't imagine like living somewhere and not being able to go to like a game or anything. Yeah. So it's just like, I was just trying to show him around, like show him the the things that he was missing because he was an Orioles fan and he loves sports as well. So it's like, all right, well, we'll we'll take a tour of this building. We'll go to this game, whatever the case may be. But yeah, when, you know, when you don't have that disposable income, it's kind of hard to go. Yeah. And that's really cool. You were able to give them that experience too. Like I know, especially growing up in a college town like Syracuse, like people live and die with Syracuse football. They live and die with Syracuse basketball. And if they're not good, it's a miserable experience because there's no NBA, NFL, or MLB team to fall back on. So, uh, yeah, shout out to Syracuse football. Their first games today. Uh, I will be checking the score on that because fortunately I can't watch because we got work today. But um. Yeah, man, it's it's exciting for sure. What was it like back in 2016 where you had two teams make the finals or the, the two teams make it to the championship game, game sevens of championship games? What was that like just in this city and, and as a sports fan yourself? Like, how, how was that? I don't know um, how good or bad this is, but I'm a pretty nostalgic person. And so not that I like to live in the past, it's just like, oh, I remember how good of a time that was. And so to answer your question, um, I was in school um, watching, you know, watching the Indians make that World Series run that that 
honestly, I, I'm not sure how many people would honestly say that they expected that because I know I didn't, even as a fan. Mm-hmm. So it was just a, a fun ride because it was like they were doing so much better than you thought. And for them to get there was was great. Also a heartbreak because they were one game away that unfortunately I kind of saw coming because once they lost, I think it was game five, game four, game five. I was like, man, they got the momentum now because they're going to come back here that they already won game two. And then it was just a wrap from there. Mm-hmm. But I remember that because um, on my floor, there were some people from Chicago who were Cubs fans. And so that whole series, like we're just going back and forth. Like, yeah, I mean, they're excited. We're upset, vice versa, whatever it is. Um, so but that honestly was a great time. Then um, I remember watching the playoffs, uh, the NBA playoffs before that. Um, I had a roommate that year. It was actually my cousin. Um, we were watching playoffs games, expected them to get back to the finals. because mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a little bit different. Yeah. And um, honestly, that, that was crazy for a whole different reason because it was like once uh, game seven rolled around, everybody was in downtown Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Packed. We were trying to find somewhere to go, couldn't find somewhere. Then we had to leave and go somewhere else. But um, I mean, tears of excitement, man. That was, that was a crazy time. And actually, it was a little bit personal too because – that was uh, June nineteenth, so obviously Juneteenth, so that was great. But also yeah. um, was Father's Day, mm-hmm. so my father passed away when I was in high school, my senior year. Wow! Uh, he was a huge sports fan. Like I think if I were to think back, like like an epiphany, like I think I got my sports fandom from him. Mm-hmm. And he ne- was never able to see any championships because you know the big drought that we had. Wow! So yeah. being able to uh, watch with family and think about him. Um, once we won, um, once we won, I was crying for a whole different reason, like because of him and just because we had won, just that excitement. And so um, I always think about that day specifically, like it was just a great time. Like if I could go back, like I would and just relive it over and over. Um, but then the the parade, like that was crazy. I almost didn't go because I had work and I was like, I just never know when this is going to happen again. Yeah. So I got off of work. I remember waking up early, had to drop my mom off at work. Uh, then we took the train downtown, and when I tell you it was packed, I'm sure you've seen the pictures. Yeah, I was I was on my feet from probably eight in the morning till about four o'clock. Wow! And you you live in Ohio City, I believe. We yep. parked somewhere over there and walked all the way downtown. Then had to walk all the way back to my car when we were done. Oh man, it was so packed. But yeah. honestly, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like. It was such a good time. And like I said, you just never know when something like that's going to happen again. So I definitely wanted to take the time and, and the opportunity to go down there. And um, I remember telling you, too, uh, one of our family friends was a security guard for the Cavs. So yeah. um, my uncle and aunt and their kids were, were on a float actually yeah. um, in the parade. So that was great. Got to see them. Um, but, yeah, it was just a crazy time. Also, because we were kind of up close and personal with uh, this connection that we have. So we, we were able to get tickets sometimes and in good spots because of his connection and he still works there actually um you can see him behind the the bench on tv sometimes it's kind of weird because like i know that guy yeah um but yeah it was just it was just a crazy time um wouldn't take it back for anything um wish that the indians had won of course but then of course um game seven and opening night were the same night next door to each other really yeah so the Cavs were opening against the knicks and um if you go back and listen to uh, LeBron's speech when they were getting the rings he was talking about how they were you know next door or whatever and both teams lost that night so that was great <laughs> you raise the banner but the Cavs lose and then next door the Indians lose the World Series um, that's one thing that I cannot uh, 
relive, honestly. Like, if I was old enough, I would expect that's how people who saw the 97 series would react. Mm -hmm. It was a walk-off. Like, anytime I hear or see that play or anything about it, I just change immediately. Like, I, I can't imagine. Like, it was just so hurtful being that close and then losing. But to wrap it all up, like, it was it was great. Like, I wouldn't take back for anything. That's a really good story, bro. Like, talk, to talk about, like, the Cavs and your dad and all that, that was really cool. So, sorry to hear about your dad, by the way. Um, but see, that's the, th- that's the type of things that you miss out on not growing up in like a sports city like Cleveland. And that's what I love about Cleveland so much. It's just how passionate the fans are, how everyone just gets around the teams, especially when they're doing well. Like even when they're not doing well, like I remember watching people just continuously show up to Browns games, whether or not they had trash bags on their head, paper bags on their head, but they were still showing up. They were still supporting the team. And, you know, whether or whatever the team goes through these days, you still hear people trying their best to defend the Browns and, and support the Browns. And um, I think it's really cool. And especially in working for this organization and seeing how, how great of an experience you can give people just by like bringing them to the ballpark or showing them around the ballpark or, um, getting people tickets to a game, just how thankful and excited they get. It's just nothing like Cleveland, man. And that's one thing I just love about this place. Um, before we finish up, I got one more question for you. And you can go up, you can elaborate on this however much you want, but what's one piece of advice that you would have given yourself maybe, I don't know, eight years ago in terms of like where you go, your career traje- trajectory and everything and What's one thing you'd give to a modern day uh, person who wants to, who's aspiring to do the things that you're doing today? Good question. I think if I had to give myself advice, um, I would say that I followed it. It would be to step out your comfort zone, I think. Um, for me, being where I was in the major that I was in, and, and I could have kept going at it. And who knows how many times it would have taken me to get it or not, but um, not being afraid to change and, and switch my major, um, being gone for two years, then go back, um, work full-time and be a student full-time to get my degree. Um, yeah, I, I'll probably say that, like, don't be afraid to step outside your comfort zone. And then for a modern day person, I would say, um, don't be afraid to be different. Don't, don't settle for anything. Um, go after whatever you want, no matter how you get there. Um, Because I think of this opportunity that we have now as interns is just like that foot in the door. Who knows where it's going to take us? Who knows where we'll be next year? But at least we had this opportunity and hopefully that'll lead to something that is um, more in line to what we want to do. Hopefully we're in that position full time for years to come, whatever. Um, So I think that would be it. I I don't think I'm great at giving advice. Um, I do give it sometimes when, when I feel it may be necessary, but to give myself that advice, I think that would be it just because I feel like I'm in that opportunity right now to where I wasn't afraid to change and, and do the things that I needed to do to get to where I want. And hopefully that'll continue. And then at the end of the day, if I get to where I want, I'm going to look back and be happy that I took the opportunity and not look back at like, what if, you know what I mean? So um, I never want to live with regret. I know sometimes, sometimes I, I, that, that kind of pushes me to do different things. I think Thursday being one of those things, just because I'm, I'm not a reserved person, but being, I think, around people that you don't know, you, like I said, you have to break out of that comfort shell. 
uh, introduce yourself to different people, kind of, you know, take that initiative. And I'm glad that I was able to do that. Um, also had a familiar face in yourself being there. So that was great. Um, but yeah, just things like that. And hopefully that something like that, as well as, you know, being interns will hopefully turn into something more. Yeah. And it's funny how you brought up Thursday, bro. I'm sorry about that, by the way. Like, I, don't worry about it. We went to a networking thing and, you know, it's always always good opportunities to to network, especially with people in, in the area. And, you know, you and I went and I ended up showing up late and I get there. You're chilling on the couch with a drink in your hand and talking to somebody that I've never yeah. seen in my entire life. And you really stepped out of your comfort zone. So, you know, you definitely you definitely did did that. And, you know, it's impressive. And, um, you know, it's something I'm still working on, too, and which is why I went to the event and I was like, you want to come like I, it'd be nice to have someone I know there. So, um, yeah, I think that's really good advice. And I, I think someone someone who's listening and aspiring to do the same things that I guess you or I, you and I are doing, um, you would would benefit from. And, and, you know, I appreciate you coming on um, before we finish up, though, I'm, I want to give you another chance to just shout out to some of your work, like whether it's your your articles or your podcasts or what like this is your this is your opportunity to plug anything you got going on yeah it's funny because i do the same thing on my podcast but um i'm mostly on twitter uh amari underscore m17 i believe it is um great follow link yeah thank you i have <laughs> um a link tree in my bio it has a link to my portfolio um my instagram page um different works that I've done. I've been doing this since maybe 2016, maybe 2017 or so. Um, so not a whole lot of time, but there I have, um, I write about everything. Like I love sports. So like I have things about football, college football, uh, NBA, college basketball, uh, baseball, um, soccer. Um, I love MMA. Um, so like, you know, if you, if you see my blog, something I have to routinely work on because I, I fall off sometimes sometimes I get writer's block and it'll be months before I get back to it but baseball is my number one sport I could talk about that easily so if you love baseball come follow me uh, comment or whatever um yeah I, I love to write and so in that link tree you have um there's a link to a bunch of everything that I've, I've ever written truly even if I don't write for them anymore so go check it out um hoping to get better at it and hopefully this will lead to something that next year even if I'm not working for the team I'm working somewhere in baseball that I love too so yeah come follow me listen to my podcast that I do every week um with Believe Network about the Guardians as well um yeah trying to get back into that as well all right perfect and you know I'll leave a few links in in the description of this video um dude thank you for coming on bro really appreciate you and uh yeah, man. Let's get to work. I'll see you in a couple hours. Absolutely, man. I, you know, I'll see you later today. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Thank you, bro. All right. Establishment people of power hate historically. Guess who they've hated? People who are hopeful. People who are faithful. People who have the faith to believe the future looks bright. You can't control those types of people. It's a very weird dynamic. Their eyes are different. There's fire in those eyes. You know what the eyes look like when somebody is hopeless or 
doesn't have, you know, it's like so faithless. You know what their eyes look like? Defeated. Yeah, bitter. Broken. You can control them. Yeah. You can push them around. You can bully them. Good luck bullying. Somebody who has faith. Somebody who has faith or is hopeful. Mm. So, so.